All right, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. I've been a little sick and sniffling a lot, so if I turn around and wipe my nose... I never had any preaching classes, so I don't know how to do that smoothly. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. So we've been coming through the book of Acts, and we've had, uh, I believe it's three teachings in the book of Acts, and this is the fourth today. Uh, a lot of these, especially these beginning teachings in Acts, have been very, very uh, foundational. Uh, foundational for the way you understand the whole rest of the book. So if you have missed any of these over the last few weeks, I really want to encourage you to go uh, online or, or whatever other avenue you have. I know there's several avenues to listen to these, but catch up and listen to these. And I think in particular last week when Dustin taught, uh, one of the points there was about what is an apostle. And uh, he, he um, specifically confronted some false teachings in our day that had to do with apostleship and seeing that apostles uh, are still around today. Anyways, I would encourage you, so let that be clickbait to go uh, check those things out. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're going we're to be in the first part of Acts 2, verse 1 through 21 is what we're going to read. But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. <clears throat> we'll do that. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we just sang to you this song, Lord, that you are stronger. You are stronger, God, and you are. And I pray, God, that through the preaching of your word, that you would flex your strength. That you would show off your mighty power, God, as your word exposes our hearts, God, and fills us with conviction of sin or hope or worship or whatever it is, God, that you intend to do with us through your word. But God, please, by your spirit, speak to us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, and do a work in your church through your word this morning. God, we don't only want you, we, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Because we waste our time, Lord. We meet in vain. Unless your presence goes with us, we don't want to go up from here. Unless your presence goes with us, God, we don't want to even enter into this time. So please, Lord. Would you come and be with us, Lord, as we look at your word? We love you. God, we sing songs to you because we love you and worship you. We pray to you corporately because we love you, God. And so, Lord, let our listening to your word and my preaching of this word, let it be an expression of more and more love to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, before we read this, I've been, as we've been coming through Acts, studying Acts together, I've been reading through the book of Acts, and, and, I, and I really, something that's been standing out to me is, is what we're seeing here is a, is a for real explosion of the gospel on the world. I mean, it was uh, incredible. In other words, this is not just some little successful evangelistic effort that went down. I mean, you read the book of Acts. And it is an explosion, an eruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ into uh, all the nations, into all the world on this planet. It's, it's amazing to read it. And one way that you can see that 
is if you look at what the unbelievers said about what God was doing. So if you go trace out all the places in Acts where an unbeliever or somebody that hates Jesus or, or hates Christians, hates the church, and you see what did they say about what God's doing, it's amazing because you get a good taste there for this. This was not a small thing. This was an explosion of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the world. And I just want to read maybe one of those to you in Acts 17, uh, verse 6. This was in Thessalonica. <clears throat> and there was... Um, they didn't want them there. They didn't want Christians there preaching the gospel. And look, look at what they said in, in the middle of Acts 17, verse 6. It says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And I love that phrase, and this is the kind of thing that keeps happening in Acts 19 and other places in the book of Acts. To where this guy just said, y'all, those folks that are turning the world upside down, those Christians, they've arrived here. And look, they're, they're trying to dethrone our king, Caesar. They're saying there's another king named Jesus. And it's a crazy, and you, and you read that and you think, man, this is a crazy explosion of the gospel on this planet. So to, to what do we attribute such an eruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ among all nations. What do we attribute that to? And I hope you see that we attribute that to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the work of ensuring that the blood of Christ, when He died on the cross, that His blood is not going to be wasted. The Holy Spirit is ensuring that. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, you do not attribute this move of God as a move of man. It's not something that man can do. Man's power and might. But this is your spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The spirit of God. And so Acts 2 describes for us the, the coming of the Holy Spirit that we've referenced a few times in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts 2 describes for us the descent of the spirit of God. So we're, we're about to uh, exult in, to worship, glory, glory in the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. But one thing I want you to see... Is that all the persons, all the persons of our triune God, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are working behind the scenes. They're involved behind the scenes as the Holy Spirit is being poured out in Acts chapter 2, like we're about to read in just a moment. Let me tell you what I mean by that. God the Son, He has already come to this earth on a rescue mission to save. God the Son has already died the death that we were supposed to die, crucified in our place, absorbed the wrath of God for us. He's already risen by this point in Scripture. He's already risen from the dead. He's already appeared for 40 days after His resurrection. Appeared in these uh, post-resurrection appearances to eyewitnesses to prove that He is the Christ. And then He has already ascended on high to be seated on His throne. And He's King forever. In the book of Acts is Jesus Seated on his throne, continuing to do his work, conquering all nations by conquering their hearts through the gospel. And so we see this in the, in the book of Acts. God the Son has done this work, ascended on high. And after Jesus' ascension, after God the Son's ascension, God the Father gives God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he ascends on high and God the Father gives to God the Son... The promise of God, the Holy Spirit. So remember who the Holy Spirit is. 
We talked about this a couple of weeks back. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He can be greed. He, he, he's one that can be saddened. He has love. He has wisdom. The Holy Spirit. He's, he's not a newcomer in the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit has been around for all of eternity because he is creator God. In fact, we see him in Genesis chapter 1. And even in chapter 1 verse 2, we see God's word talking about the Holy Spirit. So, so think about it like this. God the Son. What we're going to read about here in Acts 2. God the Son having received the promise of the Spirit from the Father, God the Son now turns and He pours out the Holy Spirit on His church. He pours out the Holy Spirit on His church. And in case you think I'm making up that language, let me read a verse to you. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 32 and 33. Peter's explanation of what happened in the outpouring of the Spirit. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that we're all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received, so Jesus the Son, God the Son, exalted to the right hand of God, ascended on high, received from the Father, God the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Have you ever worshipped Jesus for that part of who He is? That He is the one that pours out the Holy Spirit. And I can say myself that I feel like I knew this fact about Jesus. I've known this fact about Jesus for a long time. But literally within the last few weeks, I think for the first time, my heart rose up and worshipped to King Jesus. That He's the one that pours out God the Spirit on His church. It's one of the first glimpses we get about Jesus in, in uh, the beginning of the Gospels. Remember John the Baptist, he says, John the Baptist says, look, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me is mightier than I. I I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is what we see right here. God, God, the son, the one who pours out the Holy Spirit on his church. So let's read about it in Acts chapter two. And we'll read verse one through twenty one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Ar Ar Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit and they, they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to, to kind of rethink back through that. I want you to try to envision this scene. Okay? There's a way that we can become familiar with something and read something. And, and we're just not really grabbing the, the uh, uh, wonder of this scene that we just read about. Okay? So, so I want us to try to envision this scene for just a moment. So chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, that first uh, paragraph in the ESV or first section here in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. What we see there is this event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see the event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In verse 1, it says they were, it was at the time of Pentecost. So Pentecost was, uh, Pentecost means 50th. So it's the 50th day or roughly the 50th day after the Passover, Okay. So you, you imagine this. Jesus died right there around the Passover. He was risen from the dead. He walked on the earth for 40 days, ascended on high. And so now for 10 days, there have been these disciples and apostles, 120 of them, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, is when it's going to go down. So Pentecost was an Old Testament festival. You can read about it in the Old Testament. It was called the Feast of Weeks a few times. Uh, Pentecost. It was, a, it, was a, it was a festival to where uh, uh, Jews from all over the place would take pilgrimages. They would take a pilgrimage into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So, so when, you, when we get to later parts of the passage and you've got Jews that are from all these nations. And they're all gathered together in Jerusalem. You say, why? Well, because of Pentecost. This is one of those feasts where the, what people call the diaspora, the, these dispersed Jews, all in the, all these different nations, they would literally travel into Jerusalem to worship God at this feast called Pentecost. Verse 1 says, <clears throat> it says, they were all together in one place. Who were they? They are the 120 disciples. To so try to envision this, 120 disciples, we know that from Acts chapter 1. That includes the apostles. And what are they doing? Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So there they are. 120 disciples including the apostles. And they're waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. And verse 2 says suddenly. So something all of a sudden. Something startling. Something, something that didn't creep up on. All of a sudden something happened. In verse 2. Suddenly. Verse 2 says there came from heaven. <clears throat> 
a sound. There came from heaven a sound. They could hear it. All of a sudden they could hear something. They're there together in this one room. And all of a sudden they can hear something. And they know that the sound is not just merely coming from outside. It says a sound from heaven. And they hear this sound. Verse 2 says that the sound sounded like this. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. So you know what wind sounds like. So therefore you know what, what rushing wind sounds like. Or what, what about mighty rushing wind. And it says here in verse 2, it filled the entire house. So there's this all-consuming sound that's filling the house. The sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it comes on them all of a sudden. Can you picture that scene? Verse 3. Now try to imagine this. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Can you imagine that? They see something. So they've heard something. Now they see something. Looks like fire. And it's fire that comes. Tongues of fire. You imagine like you see a, a candle lit. It looks like a little tongue of fire or something. They see fire and it rests. It comes and rests on each one of those 120 disciples in that room. They've, they've heard something. They've seen something. Can you imagine this? Then it says in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the promise is fulfilled. Jesus said, not many days from now you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here it is. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says also, and they began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak in languages that they didn't know before. They didn't know the languages. And they began to speak in these languages that they don't know. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. If you, when you keep reading verse 6, 7, and 8, the people are amazed. They're going, "Why? okay, we're coming from all these other nations. How in the world, and they, they specifically say these Galileans, okay? The Galileans are like the rednecks, okay? How are these Galileans, how are these redneck Galileans, how are we hearing them speak in all of our languages? And what are they speaking? Verse 11 says they're speaking the wonderful works of God. How in the world are we hearing the wonderful works of God? Not in, not in the, the language you typically hear in Jerusalem, but we're hearing it in our native language. And so God gives them these languages to speak to these people. So what we have in the first four verses is we have the main event, okay, is that the Spirit of God is poured out. It's the main event. And that's what's been promised. And then we have three signs that accompany that main event. We have a sound. They hear a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Filled the room where they were sitting. We got a sight they saw. As a flames, as flames of fire sitting on each one of them. And then third we have these people beginning. They, they open their mouth. And what's coming out are languages they didn't know before. And they're speaking the wonderful works of God. So three signs that accompany the main event of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Okay, then you come to the next section, verse 5 through 13. And what you see is the crowd's response. Okay, this is the crowd's response, okay? So, so verse 5. Now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, so who are these people? There's a multitude of Jews who have traveled in to Jerusalem for, for Pentecost from all these different places. In fact, we get a list, right, of all the different places. So when we read it a moment ago, did you hear that list of all the different places that those Jews were coming from? Okay? 
So that's who the people are. Now, how do they react to this event? How do they react to this event that they're witnessing? Verse 6 says, it's this word, bewildered. They're bewildered. They're shocked. They're going, what is happening? And they begin to ask questions. How is this going down out of the mouth of these Galileans? They're bewildered. Verse 7 says, they're amazed and astonished. Amazed and astonished. Verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed. So they're amazed and they're a little bit confused. Like, I'm perplexed about this. What is happening here? And then some of them begin to mock and say, these people are just drunk. They're just full of, they're full of new wine. So that's the response of the crowd. Because so now you've got thousands of people. Now maybe they decide, maybe this happened in the room. Maybe they walked outside. We don't know exactly how it happened. But now you've got thousands of people. 3,000 are going to get saved from all this. So it's more than that. Thousands of people are amazed, bewildered, shocked, perplexed. What's going on here? And Peter stands up in the next section, verse 14. And Peter addresses the gathered crowd. He begins to explain. This is Peter's explanation. And the first thing that Peter says, he says, these people are not drunk. Number one, they're not drunk. What are you talking about? That's crazy. It's only 9 a.m., he says. You don't get drunk at 9 a.m., <clears throat> then, he's, then he takes a prophecy to explain what's going on. Peter reaches back into the, the book of Joel and he takes a prophecy from Joel and he quotes Joel's prophecy in Joel 2. And he says, this is what's happening. This is what's being fulfilled right now. And that's Peter's explanation. Now, this is only, this is only the first part of Peter's uh, preaching at this time. Well, we're not going to go into all of it. We'll continue that later. But this first part of Peter's preaching explains what's happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, the result of his whole preaching here is, as you know this, 3,000 souls are going to be saved. And we're going to see this little glimpse of the Jerusalem church. And it's going to be a glorious glimpse of the church at the end of Acts chapter 2, born in Jerusalem. So this is, this is just kind of plain. He says, can you envision this scene? You feel like you can understand what it would have been like to be there. So here's what I want to do now. I think there's two lenses through which you can view this event. Okay, Two lenses through which you can view this event. Let me explain them to you. Number one, first lens through which you can view this event. This is the record of how disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, Think about what that means. Is this a record of how disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit? Look at that. It's how they receive the Holy Spirit. This is how disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit. That's lens number one. Lens number two. You can look through this lens. This is a record of a one-time, unique, era-shifting event. It's like no other. It's a one-time, unique Era shifting event, going from one era to another, to a new era. Era shifting event like no other. So you got these two lenses. I want you to think about these two lenses and the difference between these two lenses. So number one, it's the record of the way disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit. Number two, this is a record of a unique one-time era shifting, changing event. Okay? Now I think many problems arise. As, as people interpret Acts chapter 2, many, pro many problems arise as people, when people view Acts 2 only as 
a record of the, how disciples receive the Holy Spirit personally. When they only view it that way, a lot of problems come out of interpreting Acts chapter 2. When they only view it as, as this is the record of how disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit. Not the least of which, as far as problems go, not the least of which is this problem. Why does nobody else, no other Christian, receive the Holy Spirit like they did in Acts 2? Not in the book of Acts, it never happens again like this. Not in, throughout all of church history, it never happens again like this. Nobody, no Christian in this room right now received the Holy Spirit. It was an exact replica of what we read in Acts chapter 2. In fact, the vast majority of Christians in the book of Acts, including the 3,000 that are saved after Peter preaches, and all of Christians after this transition period are the moment they are converted, they receive the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14, it says, In Him, Jesus, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One verse out of many that, that the vast majority of Christians in the book of Acts, including these 3,000, and, and all Christians after this transition period received the Holy Spirit like that. And that receiving the Spirit is, is just as powerful, but it's more quiet. Okay, when you receive the Holy Spirit, did you have the sound like a rushing mighty wind? Did fire sit on your head? Did you speak with tongues that you never spoken before? And everybody in the room says, "Nope, none of that happened to me." And so the reality is, is this is a unique thing. So a problem you run into if you see this just this is the way disciples receive the Holy Spirit. If you see it that way, that's your that's one of your major problems. Nobody else, no Christian has ever received it that way. Now somebody might say, somebody just read the book of Acts. You might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Acts 8? When the Spirit descended there, there was some like miraculous stuff happening. And Acts chapter 10, they received the Spirit there and there was some, some different stuff happening. What's going on with that? And I would say two things. Number one, number one, it's not an exact replica. There was not fire sitting on the air. There was not a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And then I say there was not tongues. So, so my, my, point, my point is this. It's not an exact replica and it's not that hard to understand. It's pretty simple to explain. Think about this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the outline of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what we see of this special moment, this era-shifting moment where in Acts 2 it goes to Jerusalem. In Acts 8 9 it goes to Samaria. In Acts 10 it goes to the Gentiles and on to the ends of the earth. It's the reason for these special manifestations of the, the coming of the Spirit of God in those moments. So, <clears throat> so there's a lot of problems. So hear me out on this. There's a lot of problems with only thinking about Acts 2 as this is how disciples personally receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 is a record of a one-time, unique, era-shifting era shifting event. Okay, You say, how do you know that? Look at Peter's explanation in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Look at his explanation. And in the last days it shall be. So he's explaining. He's saying, guys, let me tell y'all what's going on right here. It's what the prophet Joel spoke about. And he quotes Joel. In the last days. In other words, listen. The era is shifting. We were not in the last days. Now we're in the last days. We were in this era. Now we're in this era. Okay. The, the, 
In the last days, the, the, the last days we have entered into it as the Spirit of God has been poured out. Old covenant to new covenant. This is an era shifting moment is what we're looking at right here. And so, and so what this does is this begins to explain for us the incredible visible signs, those three signs that accompany the coming of the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? When it's this era shifting moment that God pours out these signs on it so that all might see and all might know this is the moment I'm talking about. Now God does this all throughout His Word. Think about other era shifting moments in God's Word. Think about the giving of the law in the Old Testament. That's a massive moment, the giving of the law. And what do we see? What are the signs there? you got a mountain with smoke and on fire and the mountains trembling and the people are terrified and God speaks with an audible voice. What about the coming? So, so God the Son had a coming as well. He had an advent. He came. What about when the Son of God came? What were the signs that, that accompanied His coming? There was a star that the Magi followed to find Him. There were angel choirs in Bethlehem. A virgin gave birth. All these signs that are coming. This is a, an era-shifting moment. What about the second coming of Christ? And you go read about the second coming of Christ and all the signs that accompany that coming. And it's the same thing here. The Holy Spirit has come. And this is a moment that, er, that things change. The Old Testament spoke about it. There's coming a time. There's coming a time. And Joel says this is the last time, the last days. They have arrived. It's an era-shifting era moment. Just to give an illustration of that. A quick illustration. If you think about July the 4th, 1776, okay? There's some men there, July the 4th, Independence Day, 1776. They went from not citizens of a free American nation to citizens of a free American nation. They went from one to the next. This is an era shifting moment. Now, they were there for that era-shifting moment. Everybody born into that land afterwards are born as citizens in the freedom of a new nation. But those people in that era-shifting moment, what do they do? What are the signs? They draw up a declaration of independence. They put the signatures, they sign their signatures there. There it is. Everybody born afterward in this nation, we don't draw up our own declaration of independence and sign that thing. This is a sign that accompanies this era-shifting moment. So I hope, you, I hope you understand that. I hope you grab hold of what we're looking at here in Acts chapter 2, okay? Alright, so here's what I want to do now. Let's talk about what, what is the meaning of this event. What is the meaning of this event? And I want to explain the meaning of Acts chapter 2. I want to explain it with two, uh, sort of two lines of, of argument, okay? Two lines of... Of, uh, of, of evidence to explain the meaning of Acts chapter 2. So one, one line of argument is the signs. Look at the three signs, okay? And those signs tell us something about what's going on in Acts 2. And another line of argument would be to look at Joel's prophecy that, or, or Peter's explanation uh, from Joel's prophecy. And we look at these two and these two help us understand what's happening in Acts chapter 2. And here's the thing. You can intermix these two. Because when you understand what the signs mean and what they say about what's happening in Acts 2, and then you go read Joel's prophecy, it says the same thing. So the signs speak one thing, Joel's prophecy speaks another thing, and they speak the same thing. So you can intermix these two. So I'm going to talk about the meaning of what's going on in Acts chapter 2 from those two places. Now I've got three points that build on each other, three points that build on each other, and they, and just, and they correlate with those three 
signs, okay? So number one, what's going on in Acts chapter 2? And this is the most obvious one. It probably doesn't even have to be said. But what's going on in Acts chapter 2 is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, right? It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I mean. The Spirit is being given here in a way that the Spirit has not been given before. Okay? The Spirit of God is being given here. And for all those up to present day who are part of the last day, the Holy Spirit is being given in a way that He's not been given before. Listen to this verse from John chapter 7. This is verse 39. Now this He said, Jesus said this. This Jesus said about the Spirit, the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been exalted, ascended, and glorified to the throne, to the right hand of the throne of God. So, so He had not been given. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. The Spirit of God has always been at work. He's always been involved. He's all, we read about Him all over the Old Testament. Do your own study. But He's being given here. He's coming here in such a way that, that's like, like He's never been given before. You think about the Son of God. The Son of God was always at work in creation. All the things that He was doing all throughout the Old Testament, all of eternity past. But He had a coming. The Son of God had a coming. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit always been at work, always moving. He had a coming. And His coming is in Acts is in Acts chapter 2. So Acts 2 is the advent of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people right now are celebrating the uh, advent of Jesus as we get, uh, during this Christmas time. You, 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 you celebrate the advent of Jesus. It means the arrival or the coming of Jesus. Well, Acts 2 is the advent or the coming or the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. Both the Son of God... And God the Holy Spirit, it was prophesied that they would have a coming, that they would come. And we see Jesus is at the beginning of the Gospels, and we see God the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Both of them, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, were preceded by a herald. Jesus, the Son of God, had a herald named John the Baptist that heralded His coming. And the Holy Spirit had Jesus Himself heralding His coming. Both had miraculous signs that accompanied their coming. Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. God the Son came to take up dwelling in a human body. God the Holy Spirit, in Acts 2, comes to take up dwelling, comes to take up dwelling in His church, in the body of Christ. The Son came on a mission. He came to do uh, redemption accomplished. And the Holy Spirit also came on a mission to do redemption applied, making sure that the blood of Jesus Christ will never be wasted. And so, and so the most obvious thing here, what's the meaning of Acts 2? This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you say, where's that at in the signs you were talking about? It's the first sign. What is the first sign? The first sign is they heard a sound like a rushing, mighty wind. Now, I, I read that. Wind, Spirit, I don't think that's hard to figure out. Okay? The wind there is this representation, it's a sign speaking about the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's very, very clear. Even the same Greek word can be translated, wind and spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 3, He said, uh, the wind blows where it wishes. We don't, we don't see it, but we hear the sound of it. So is the man born of the Spirit. It's the idea the wind is talking about the Holy Spirit. And what did the wind do? Uh, excuse me, what did, the, what did the sound of the wind do? It filled the place where they were sitting. So what's it talking about? The outpouring of the Spirit of God. That's in the sign. 
Well, where do you see that in Joel's prophecy? Well, Joel's prophecy, if you look at verse 17, it says in verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares, listen to it, I will pour out my spirit. And he repeats it again in verse 18. I will pour out my spirit. What's going on next too? This is the outpouring of the spirit of God. What does it mean? The, the Holy Spirit's not a liquid to be poured out. What does it mean? It means there's going to be a flood of the Spirit of God coming on His people. There's a flood coming. And it happens that it's initiated here in Acts chapter 2. So that's number one on the meaning of Acts chapter 2. Number two, building on that. Number two, it's the outpouring of the Spirit is for all of God's people. So in this new covenant, the outpouring of the Spirit is for all of God's people. Hear me out on that. All all of God's people. So not just infrequently coming on a few individuals like we read about uh, Israel in the Old Covenant. Not that. Not like that. Not infrequently coming on a few individuals. Not that. But on all of God's people. On all of God's people. This is very similar to what we read about in Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah? He speaks about that same era shifting event. He says a new covenant. A new covenant I'm going to make with you. And this is, this is part of that new covenant. No longer shall each one teach his brother and each one his neighbor saying, know the Lord. No longer. No longer. He says, but all of them shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. All of them. This is a beautiful thing. And the sign that shows us that is in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. Acts chapter 2, verse 3 is that second sign. And what do we see? We see fire, like tongues of fire, sitting and resting on each one of them. The fire. What's the fire all about? I don't know exactly where to connect the fire, except that it's obviously the presence of God. But we've got uh, fire passing between the animal parts in Genesis 15 with Abraham. We've got fire representing God at the burning bush. We've got uh, uh, fire. God's called a consuming fire. So obviously it's the presence of God. But here's, here's the point. Here's what I think the emphasis is right here in verse 3. He says this. He rested on each one of them. All 120. The Holy Spirit poured out is for all of God's people in this new covenant. That is a beautiful thing if you take a moment to think about what that means for us. In Numbers chapter 11. I think we get a good illustration for us of Moses' heart and God doing what's on Moses' heart. In Numbers chapter 11 you got Moses leading out the people. And in verse 17, God says to Moses, <clears throat> He says, I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that's on you, Moses, and put it on them. Some of these 70 elders that God told Moses to gather together. And I'm going to take the spirit of God on you, Moses. And I'm going to put, it on those, put him on those men. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So what happens is they're supposed to gather together in a certain spot. And out of those 70 men that God's going to pour out His Spirit on in this, in this example, 68 of them show up. But two of them stay in the camp. But when God puts the Spirit of God that was on Moses on these men, those two that stayed in the camp, they begin to prophesy just like the 68. And Joshua sees it and goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. He goes to Moses and Joshua says, Moses, these guys are doing this in the camp. Tell them to stop. And listen to Moses' heart. Listen to his heart. This is in verse 29. But Moses said to Joshua, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. 
You hear that? Oh, that all of God's people had the Holy Spirit on them and be God's prophets in that way. And I think in a, in a, in a real sense, we see this being fulfilled as the outpouring of the Spirit is for all of God's, all of God's people. Now the place, so you got the sign of the fire sent on each one. Where does that fit into Joel's prophecy? Listen to Joel's prophecy in verse, in verse 17. His prophecy. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on who? On all flesh. What does it mean? All flesh. It obviously doesn't mean all the world. Is that pouring his spirit out on every single individual on the, the planet? That's not what he means. On all flesh. What does he mean? Keep reading. He says your sons and your daughters. Men and women in the church of Jesus Christ full of the Holy Spirit. He goes on. He goes, it's not just sons and daughters. But he says young men and old men, young and old. All of God's people. Then he says, and even on your men servants and your maid servants. Socioeconomic status, throw it out the window. I'll pour it out the Spirit on all of my people. All of the new Israel. All of the church of Jesus Christ. So, number one, outpouring the Spirit. Number two, outpouring the Spirit on all of God's people. Number three, the outpouring the Spirit for all of God's people. Why? What's the reason? What's the reason? For the spread of the gospel to all nations. For the spread of the gospel to all nations. To all nations. Now, again, I'm arguing from the sign and from Joel's prophecy. For the spread of the listen to me, for the spread of the gospel to all nations, which sign shows you that? And think about that third sign. What do we see in the third sign? In Acts 2, verse 4, it says they're given this, this uh lane, they begin to speak. The fire sits on each one, they begin to speak in these other languages, in these tongues, and they begin to hear these people gathered from all these nations. Begin to hear them preaching the wonders of God in their own native languages. What's God telling us through that? What's God telling us through that? I want you to think with me. Why did God give them this ability? Okay. Why did God give them this ability to do this? Now, if, if I answered the question like this, you tell me if it'd be right or wrong. What if this was the answer to the question? He gave them this ability... For the salvation of the 3,000 souls that were there. That's why he gave them the ability. Would that be right or would that be wrong? And I hope you see that that would be wrong. Here's why I say, did I go out? It's probably my hands. I probably hit it. <laughs> can y'all hear me? Nick, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay. Okay, I got it. I'm so loud, y'all don't even need a mic. <clears throat> All right. So don't, don't lose. I want you to understand this. So don't, don't let me lose you on this, okay? So why did he give them this ability, okay? Did he give them the ability for the salvation of those 3,000 souls? And my answer is no. That's not why. Because think about verse 14. Peter stands up. And he addresses this crowd. And how many languages is Peter speaking as he gives them the gospel? He speaks in one language. And these 3,000 souls understand Peter. And 3,000 souls are saved that day. So what I'm telling you is you did not need all those languages. Because the, the diaspora, those Jews, them coming in, they knew a common language that was spoken in Jerusalem. They didn't need that. So, so then that, that begs the question. Why then? 
Why in the world does God give them this ability if it was not just simply for the salvation of those 3,000 souls? Why does He give it to them? And I, and I would say this, that God is saying through this sign, God's speaking through this sign, He's saying, I will pour out My Spirit, why? And I will win souls and I will win them from all nations. This is what that sign speaking to us. It's a sign from God to say, I'm going to do what I promised to do in Luke 24. Remember Luke 24? Jesus promised, he says, he tells them the, the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then he says, but wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. God says in this sign, I'm going to do that. The first time I pour out the Holy Spirit, the very initial part of this air shifting event, people from all nations, there's no, no language barrier can stop the spread of the gospel. That's what he's saying here. Think about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is a sign saying, I will fulfill what I said in Acts 1 8. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You won't prove for that when the Spirit comes. You speak in tongues you don't even know. And people from all nations hear the wonderful works of God. It's a sign saying that it's the spread of the gospel, the spread of the gospel to all nations. And so, I think... Let me say this real quick. I, I think you get a foretaste of this. I think you get a foretaste of this when you look in Luke chapter 3 and chapter 4. So think about it like this. Okay? So the Spirit of God descends on the body of Christ in Acts chapter 2. Okay? But we have a foretaste of the Spirit of God descending on on Jesus, on God the Son, on Jesus Christ. We see the Holy Spirit descending on Him in Luke chapter 3. Why? Why does the Spirit of God descend on Him in Luke chapter 3? Well, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, I want to read some of this to you. Luke chapter 3. I want you to see this as the reason why the, the Holy Spirit poured out on all of God's people. Why? Well, look at this in Luke chapter 3. Verse 21, this is Jesus' baptism and the initiation of Jesus' ministry. Verse 21, so when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. Imagine this, he's baptized, the heavens open up, the sky rolls back, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in one place. And it says as a foretaste here that God the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form on Christ. Okay? So think about that for a minute. Now, he begins his ministry. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Here he goes, full of the Holy Spirit. Keep reading. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit. The Spirit has descended upon him. He comes out of the wilderness. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned, listen to the phrase, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So here it is, this foretaste of the descent of the Spirit of God on Jesus. Why? And let Jesus give the explanation. Jesus gives the explanation as to why. Look at verse, look at verse 18. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty 
to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see the same thing here as we see in that sign, the Spirit of God. The same thing we see in Acts 1.8, that the Spirit of God comes on Jesus and it's this proclamation, it's the emphasis, proclamation of the good news of the glorious gospel. And when the Holy Spirit descends on the church in Acts chapter 2, it is for the proclamation, for the going forth of the gospel to all nations. Just like it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So that's the sign, okay? That's the sign. But where do we see that in Joel's prophecy, okay? Where do we see it in Joel's prophecy? So if you're in Acts 2, you look at Joel's prophecy, I think you can see the same thing there. Verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Why? Why, why, why? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Similar words. This, this going forth, this proclaiming out of the word of God. Go to verse 18. Even on your male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Why? And they shall prophesy this going forth of the word of God. And what is the end involved here? Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the idea. These three signs are given for that reason. Joel's prophecy is given to show us what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. This is the descent, the advent of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people for the advancement of the kingdom of God, His gospel to all nations. So that whoever calls in the name of the Lord would be saved. Now, kind of closing this out, I, I hope you see, we read through Acts 2. I hope you kind of understand what's going on here in Acts 2. I want to talk about how, uh, how, did, how does this affect Grace Community Church? How does this affect our church? You know, we live in a pretty glorious time. 2.17 says we live in the last days. In verse 20, the end of verse 20 says, Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. We, we live in these last days between the coming of the Spirit of God and that second coming of Christ, which is called that the great and magnificent day that's coming. So we live in some glorious times. So what does this mean? What does Acts 2 mean for Grace Community Church living in this time? And there's a million things I could say. A million things that probably come to your mind about what does this mean for us. It's a big deal. But I just want to focus in on one main effect that this has or should have on Grace Community Church. Okay? I think that we should be challenged. Uh, that we should be encouraged to be what I call an all souls church. Or you could say an every soul church. Or you could say an every member church. Okay? I want us to be encouraged and challenged to be an all souls church. And here's what I mean. Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God has come on all of God's people for the advancement of His kingdom to the ends of the earth. An all souls church is what I, what I want to focus on. When you get... When you get at the end of this, 3,000 souls are saved. And, and, and at the very end of Acts 2, you get this little glimpse, like a little snapshot of the church in Jerusalem. And it says in Acts 2, verse 47 or 42, excuse me. It says, and they, all souls, every soul, every member, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to the prayers. And it says, and all fell on every soul. And that's the one I underline. Every soul. So all fell on every soul. And all 
soul church because the Spirit of God has been given to all. So here's what I mean. Okay, Let's tease that out a little bit. What I mean is not a church of just a few, you know, Christian superstars kind of scattered throughout. I mean, not that. We don't want that, right? We shouldn't be encouraged or challenged to, to, to be that. But rather, all have the Holy Spirit. John 7, 39. We read it a moment ago. It says, the Holy Spirit, those who, that those who believe were to receive. Those who believe would receive the Holy Spirit of God. Have you repented? And put your faith in Christ. Have you done that? Have you come to Christ? Are you converted? Then the Spirit of God indwells you. You have the Holy Spirit. And so imagine that. A church. How do you think about the church? A church full of people that are full of the Holy Spirit of God. Full of the Holy Spirit. I love that there's a something I've heard Lydia say several times to ladies. When ladies begin to say something to her like, Well, you know, I can never you know, talk to... You know, that Muslim person about the gospel like you did. And Lydia almost always says something like, you've got the same spirit of God in you as is in me. What do you mean? It's, a, it's an all soul church. All have the Holy Spirit. There's a holy confidence that arises in a church when they stand on this promise that you have the spirit of God in you. He's been poured out. Think another way to think about that is, is all souls have access to more of the Holy Spirit. Think about Ephesians 5. There's a command that says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which means that Christians who are baptized in the Spirit of God can have a, an emptiness of the Spirit in a sense. They can have an emptiness. And he says don't have an emptiness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are people that have access to cry out to God and say, God, give us more manifestations of your Spirit in our life. Like boldness to preach your word. Like understanding the scriptures. Like hearts that yearn for you. You can ask for more. You have access to more of the Holy Spirit. All souls in the church that are in Christ. That are converted. All souls. I think there's a way according to God's word. That you can quench the Holy Spirit. There's a way that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Those are Bible verses. Don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So let's not do that. Let's be in all souls Church where you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't quench the Holy Spirit. But you long for more of Him. More of Him in your life. I want us to be encouraged, every soul, all souls, that the greatest gift of your salvation is the Spirit of God. Greatest gift of your salvation. I want you to think about this. Spirit of God falls. Peter stands up, preaches the gospel. These people say, what must we do? And he looks at them in Acts 2.38. And he says, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, for what? For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you think about that. Forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit when you're converted. Forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit when you're converted. And those two things are a pattern throughout the book of Acts. Forgiveness of sins is offered. The gift of the Holy Spirit is there. These two things are together. If all we had was the forgiveness of sins, we could worship Him for all of eternity. Do you realize that? If the only thing God did for us was wipe our record clean, no sins on the record because I died for him. If that was it, then we worship him for all of eternity. But he goes further than that and he says, the gift of the Holy Spirit, you get God. The greatest gift of your salvation is you get God. You get the Holy Spirit. And we ought to rejoice in him. All souls in the church rejoice in him for that. 
All have access. All souls have access to uh, the Spirit of God's power for ministry. When you read Acts 1-8, let it sink down into your ears and down into your soul. Acts 1-8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Are you in Christ? That's you, empowered by the Spirit of God. Access to more power by the Spirit of God to preach His gospel, to make disciples, and to have an impact, an all-nations impact. Can you imagine a group of God's people come together, an all-souls church, locked arms for the sake of that mission? We ought to be encouraged as an all-souls church that we can be all about the mission, every single one of us. Nobody, nobody has to sit the bench. Everybody can have eternal impact. Everybody can, in Christ can have impact on the nations. Now, an all-souls church like I'm describing, where no one sits the bench, everyone's Everyone's got the same spirit of God because God does this with all his people. That kind of thing might seem foreign. You might say, man, I, that's, not what I, that's not my experience. It's not what I've seen. When I think about the past and the churches I've been involved in growing up and all throughout my life, a lot of you would say, that's not the way I've seen it. What I've seen is in you know, the church and you've got a certain little, little group of like you know, superstar Christians that are there and the rest just kind of come on Sunday. Right? And that's what you're used to seeing. And let me encourage you in something. That's not new. That is not a new phenomenon. It's not. L listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you that that is not new. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. Listen. If the foot, talking about a body, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So here it is. An example very early on of this, well, I'm not like those people. I'm not the hand. I'm not the eye. So I could never, I could never do that. Listen to me. That's always been a temptation for the church. But what I want to call us to is this all souls church. Be encouraged. Body of Christ. Individual in Christ Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. And listen to this little equation. And just see if this helps you, okay? A little, little math equation, okay? You answer it. Holy Spirit plus X equals power for ministry or power to walk with God, okay? Holy Spirit plus X, what is X? Equals power. What do I have to put in X? What do I have to inject into X to make that statement true? I got to put Charles Spurgeon there? Holy Spirit plus, plus Charles Spurgeon equals power, right? Do I have to put Jonathan Edwards there? Holy Spirit plus Jonathan Edwards. Holy Spirit plus Lemuel Haynes. I got to put these guys, all these people know it. That's who I got to put there, right? To have power. Is that true? And I hope you go, no, it could just be Holy Spirit equals power. The X doesn't matter. Holy Spirit plus Zachary Golson. Holy Spirit plus Tyler Birch. Holy Spirit plus Aaron Poole. And equals, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. This is what God does. And I want us to be encouraged to be an all souls church that trusts God like that. That's a matter of faith when you have these feelings of, well, I'm, I, I'm not a hand, not an eye, so I don't belong. That's a matter of lack of faith in God. Let me close out with just this quote here. 
It's from Charles Spurgeon. Now that I think about it, I should have picked somebody unknown. <laughs> he said this. This is his observation in Acts chapter 2. We cannot too often read the story of that wondrous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So we can't read it too often. And let us never read it without asking the Lord to manifest in our midst the fullness of the Spirit's power. We may not have a repetition of the miraculous gifts which were bestowed upon the apostles and those who were with them, but we may have that gracious influence which shall convince and convert those who gather to hear the Word. Our success in preaching the Word is entirely dependent upon the presence and working of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let our prayer be, Lord God the Holy Ghost, in this accepted hour, as on the day of Pentecost, descend in all thy power. The young and old inspire with wisdom from above and give us hearts and tongues of fire to pray and praise and love. Let's pray that. Father, thank you for these truths in your word. And I pray, God, that you would cause each and every one of us, God, to be full of faith in you, Lord. God, we all have our own weaknesses. And we all have our own strengths. We all have our own weaknesses and our own gifts. We know that, Lord. But I pray, God, that you would cause us to look away from ourselves and look to this truth that you've, that you've caused us to meditate on today, that you have given us your spirit. And I pray, God, that you'd place such a faith in us towards you, Holy Spirit, that we would obey you, that we would walk with you, God, that we would step out in the mission for the glory of your name. God, exalt yourself in this church. God, we read this about you pouring out your spirit on all flesh. About a new Israel where all of them know you, God, and all of them have your spirit, God. Every single one of them. We read about that, God. God, I pray that you would do that work. Do that work to where it's exalted in this church. And I pray, God, you would do that with churches all over our area, God. That you would raise up all souls' churches all over our area, God. That you would, you would cause an awe to fall on every soul. And that you'd be worshipped and glorified and your kingdom would be advanced. Thank you for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.